It's happy hour again from Uptown New Orleans at the lovely Collins Hotel. Hello, I'm Grant Morris. In the next 60 minutes, you'll get to meet just three of the many thousands of fascinating people who live in New Orleans, and you'll get to hear some live music as well. At the end of the show, you might conclude New Orleans is a great city where people love to talk, have fun, and enjoy great music, but you probably know that already, so let's get right on with doing nothing. But enjoying the next 60 minutes of happy hour together, my three fabulous guests sitting around the table here at the Collins Hotel in very close quarters, by the way. Are in no particular order except now maybe left to right. Rabbi Jonas Schiller is the executive director and campus rabbi at Tulane University's Hillel Foundation. Rabbi Jonas is making his second appearance on Happy Hour. When he was a guest on the show last time, he increased the number of non-Jews lining up to convert <laughs> and demonstrated why he's the perfect rabbi for New Orleans when he explained that, in his opinion, Judaism recommends living life to the fullest, including indulging in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I did not say that. You did say that. I'm going to play the tape back. You, don't, you claim you never said that. I did not say that with only those words. No, but well, there was yeah. a lot more to it, but I, I distilled it down to the essential, you know, one sentence. Of course. Sitting across the table from me, Al Jackson is a neighborhood historian, which is a pretty serious undertaking when you live in the most historic neighborhood in New Orleans. Since he moved back home from Boston in 1990, Al Jackson has been keeping track of who else is coming and going from the historic Tremaine neighborhood. Al has a special interest in artists and musicians. He's the archivist of the remaining documents of Local 496, the Negro Musicians Union, who counted among its members, Professor Longhair and Louis Armstrong. Hello, Al. Welcome to New Orleans. Hey. Thank Happy Al. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. You're from Tremay originally, right? Absolutely. So you just moved back here in 1990. Yeah. It's not like... Yeah. And here's someone sitting to my right who moved here from Belgium. Is that right? Well, Belgium via Singapore and Chicago and... I've been here 10 years. That's exotic, and you sound as American as anybody, more My American than me. My mom's from Chicago. <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> Helen Gillet is a cello player who stepped out of the classical music mold in 1998 when she began training as an improviser. Well, I'm, you know, I've read this sentence so many times with so many other guests, but I'll just say it one more time. With North Indian Hindustani vocal ragas? Yeah, same old, same old. Oh, my God, <laughs> another person who trained with North Indian Hindustani vocal ragas. <laughs> that launched Helen into the worlds of free improvisation, jazz, funk, rock, and French chanson. How's that for hey, my French? Pretty good. good. And soon found her recording with Cassandra Wilson, Dr. John, Marianne Faithful and playing with a wide range of performers from Smokey Robinson to the Mardi Gras Indian Orchestra, as well as leading her own trio and all-string ensemble, Wazozo. That's right. Helen's brand new self-titled solo album, Helen Gillet, is just out and available right now everywhere. Helen, welcome to Happy Hour. It's a pleasure to be here. And sitting across the room on the piano is the fabulous, talented, charming, best-looking guy in the whole Collins Hotel, Mitch Foreman. Yes, thank you very much, nicely Mitch. Done. Gorgeous, that was beautiful. Helen, what did you think of that piece oh, that of piano playing nice. as a musician? That was some nicely timed uh, piano music. Yeah, Sounds beautiful through these little headphones I we're wearing know, here. I know, Mitch is a very talented it's piano. It's a very player. professional operation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, we got these headphones come from Radio Shack, but you'd never know, right? <laughs> never. And Mitch never. is on us. How many piano lessons have you had, Mitch? This is a fifth one. Fifth one. It's <laughs> Sounding good, nice. Mitch. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Keep it, yeah. keep it up, Mitch. <laughs> and of course, you can't, yeah, you can't see this on the uh, radio or on the internet when you listen to this, but Mitch only has one hand. Wow. You can see. It's unbelievable how he does it, isn't mm. it? So, it Helen, makes you wonder. You're going to sit here for a whole hour and it ho- makes you wonder. You're going to sit here for a whole hour holding a cello in your hand. Well, I'm used to it. You know, I'm used to sitting uh, places for a whole hour with my cello <laughs> in my hands. So where do you sit normally it's, it's like where that? where I'm most comfortable, actually. Where else would you sit normally? Not... 
Um, you know, on chairs, on stools, sometimes amplifiers, just wherever. Sometimes yeah. my cello case, if I'm feeling inspired and there's no chair around. I'll I see on the album of your, the cover of your album, you're, you're sort of squatting down somewhere yeah, with that high was heels. A, where yes, is that? that was in the parking lot next to the Ogden Museum. Um, that's actually a reflection of myself, a fo- photo taken by Zach Smith. Oh, yeah, talented. he's great. But what we're looking at now is the real you, right? This is me. Do you ever feel like you were really just a reflection of your real self? Well, you know, sometimes, yes. Um, especially when it's real hot. I just like to step outside of my own body sometimes. But uh, Today is extremely hot. It is very warm. Especially if you... Uh, where are you actually from? Chicago? Um, well, I was born in Belgium and I lived in Singapore for nine years. And my mother's from Chicago, from Illinois, um, northern uh, Illinois. And uh, she she raised me uh, through high school up there. I went to Wisconsin for college, and then I moved here 10 years ago to start my musical career. You just started a musical career 10 years ago? Well, I... I was I, I went full time. I stopped taking any other job to make money. What 10 did you years do ago. before that? Uh, I was te- I was taking care of mentally disabled adults. I was teaching not much difference from being a musician. <laughs> 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 it's a really good training yeah. for anybody that, that wants mentally to, uh, disabled adults. Yes, yes. How three. do you get to be mentally disabled? Well, uh, you were born that way in the, in the case of these three gentlemen. Oh, but you had one, just three patients. Yeah, I had, and one of them was a mildly schizophrenic, um, uh, obsessive compulsive man who's. Uh, named Gary and who loved King Crimson <laughs> okay. and and it would calm him down and for King uh, Crimson it would not calm many people down I suppose you'd have it to would be calm him down it was amazing what it would do for this man and wow. uh, I actually took him to I got to take him to a King Crimson concert wow. and uh, keeping his hand out of the popcorn bag the whole time uh, he had a good time he really did it why would wonderful. you have popcorn at a King Crimson concert well uh, he really liked <laughs> to eat you love to eat? Yeah, pop- he loved to eat. Especially popcorn. Yeah. What is the definition of mildly <laughs> schizophrenic? Because I wonder if anyone else has got that around the table. It's <laughs> uh, possible that lots of uh, our listeners and, and us here right now Thank could you. be What about, do you think Rabbi Yona is mildly I schizophrenic? I don't know, but here comes our beverage. Here's the drinks. <laughs> yeah, good old Gabriel. Hey, Thanks, Gabriel. Thanks to Gabriel. What, so how would you, um, what questions would you ask, say, Rabbi Schiller or, um, or Al Jackson to find out if they were mildly schizophrenic? Well, you know, I didn't diagnose these uh, patients. No, but you must know a lot about it. Oh, I, yeah, a lot more than I'm comfortable admitting. <laughs> well, right could now. you? Could you? Well, you could, I can include me as well. I, I could. Yeah, I think, think you should be included. In yeah, this. and Mitch, I tell you, if, if anyone, I'm, I'm definitely. Yeah, if anyone is schizophrenic here, it's Mitch Foreman for sure. Uh, um, so, what yeah. questions would you you use to find out? Oh, I don't know. I guess uh, you know. Do you ever leave your own body? Do you, do you talk and hear voices? And I don't know. Just things. What that are you supposed to say? What are the right answers? <laughs> you only go first. <laughs> Mm. Do you believe your own yeah, body? Yeah, you're, you're uh, the teacher now, Rabbi. Yeah, no, we're all, hey, <laughs> Help us out. Have, we haven't met yet. We're all teachers. But, uh, you know, I mean, leaving your own body, I think that's part of normal daily activity, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, write that so. down. Yes. <laughs> okay. Is it really? But uh, speaking to yourself, you know, that's something that, uh, or, or hearing voices, I think that's kind of a, that's a game changer, I think. Yeah, <laughs> when you're actually. Do you think so? Yeah. I think so. Hearing voices, I think that's. That's significant. Don't you hear voices in the sense when you're having a conversation with yourself or you're imagining a conversation with someone else? Hmm. Say God, for example. Yeah, in I don't case, I, you know. Personally, I haven't heard voices. I'm not saying that's, that would put me in the category, anybody in the category of, of mildly schizophrenic if they did. But uh, that's not, in, in my mind, that's not really what prayer is about, is trying to elicit a voice to be heard. You mean your own voice to be heard? Yeah, it's, it really is about your own voice being heard. So does Juda- in Judaism, do we pray to a god the same as we do in other religions? Or, I mean, is there a, I mean, like in Christianity, people pray to Jesus or they pray to saints. 
Yeah, you know, Judaism is nothing. There's a, you know, first of all, let's just be said that anything I say is probably um, wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's sad because I thought you were a rabbi. I am. It's probably it doesn't necessarily represent the majority. um, That's a disclaimer. No, but the truth. But I. But I do. Bloody Mary! You haven't even hardly started. You're already concerned. I do think that uh, that the truth is the Jewish word. If you, if you will, if, um, if for prayer is lihit palel, which in Hebrew is a, is a reflexive verb, which really means, well, literally it means, means it literally means you're actually praying to yourself. Oh, here we go. So, in a certain mildly schizophrenic. So, but I mean, it really, right some of the greatest masters, some of the greatest spiritual masters, have been accused of that, of that being diagnosed as that. And I think it's because they've been so in, in depth, you know, deeply involved in prayer, where it really is a self excavation. Yeah. And that oftentimes involves speaking to yourself, and that's why I said I, I think speaking to yourself is sort of. So, that's that's Hebrew. You're talking about lahit palel is Hebrew. Yeah. And it means to speak to oneself. It means to pray, but to pray to oneself. What kind of a religion prays to oneself other than narcissism? Well, it's a it's a it's a it's a delicate it's a delicate balance. But basically, the, the premise is that we um, we have tremendous potential uh, inside of us. Each of us. Each of us, and it's about accessing that. And to, in order to access and realize that, it's about really getting in touch with who you are. So, does do you, are you praying to God though? So you're praying to an aspect of of yourself that is the the aspect of yourself that's connected to God. Um, that's how I would. That's how I would art- articulate it. Hmm. That's really interesting because uh, you know, a lots of musicians have been incu- uh, you know accused of or have self admittedly walked the fine line between you know madness and inspiration. You know, um, and thinking about that inner voice of trying to get inspired, and when you're inspired by by an idea, it, it does consume you, and you can you can kind of become that other. Other, uh, imagine yourself as uh, you know entering this other world for a while in, in order to follow your inspiration, and can it can be? Um, it's a fine line there. I've talked to a lot of friends that yeah. are musicians or artists that walk that line. It's a sort of dissociative line that you're saying yeah. you think you leave the world of normal experience and you're yeah you're somewhere in else for a while. Yeah. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you two other things without without, without monopolizing, but along this line. Um, the, the definition in, in Judaism of somebody who's sort of crazy is somebody who um, has no context or their context is their own. They don't share a context with other people. And one other piece of that, which is interesting, is that when um, there's, there's a, an idea that the age of prophecy, you know, you, people talk about the prophets and, and all religions in a certain sense recognize there are no prophets today. In the same way there were once were, and in Judaism, there's well, that's a, an interesting a, question. We'll get onto that. In a minute. Yeah, there's a belief that the age of prophecy actually ended, at least to the degree that it was ac- accessible then. And one of the things, one of the um, teachings, tells us that uh, with the, what happened to prophecy. So it says it went to children, and it went to crazy people. And in many ways, art really has become the role of, of the prophets of this of our lives in the sense that they are the ones who spearhead a new vision forward. And oftentimes they are on the brink of having no context that is shared with others. That's interesting. Yeah. So, fascinating. That's quite interesting. Uh, fascinating, yeah. yeah. Did anybody else notice that we never got to point two? You said there were two points. Oh, the first point was that. Well, uh, oh, have we had both the points? Yeah, I thought so. The first oh. point was that there was there was uh, there, there was, was no problem. craziness is, is without context. Oh, craziness without context. And then and the, the others is that, is that crazy people were given prophecy. So, what's happened to the to to the prophets? Then why? I mean, this is like a sort of a. Yeah. Why would they all be gone suddenly, if if prophecy was true? El, do you have a religious context of your own? 
Yes, I do. I'm a Christian, Roman Catholic. Okay. Treme, what can I say? Treme, is Treme predominantly Catholic? Today, because of the, the shifting of the population demographics, I, I could not truly answer that, but well, you're the historian. Who we who we well, turn to? All these new folk, I don't know them yet. Really? I'm, I'm what kind of a coffee shop? To meet you, but you grew up Catholic <laughs> in Tremaine. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. My mom was in the uh, convent, Holy Family Nuns, in the French quarters. I was became Saint Mary's. I was raised by after Craig School, and my mom said, "No, no, 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 no. You're getting a little bit too wild. You're off to the Holy Family Nuns." Until in heaven, when he immediately pulled my ear and mm-hmm. and began to train me up the way I should have been. And, Nuns don't play, trust me. Oh, man, that's for real. <laughs> the nuns aren't screwing around. Yeah, yeah. And it, did that change your life, being in a it Catholic did. school? It did. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good. It What's <laughs> the nuns aren't screwing around? Oh, sorry. Yeah, but that, was, that was a literal well, observation. I, well, I, 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 must, I must say that the uh, Christian Brothers Brandy was, was very, very uh, well chosen and tastes well after Mass, it is. How much? They give you brandy? Boy. See, I would, have, I would have joined up if I'd known there was brandy involved. <laughs> Become an altar boy. And drink it. Really? Yeah. Is that how they get to take advantage of them? They get absolutely. them plastered and then. But they then you should learn which priest not to serve mass, but those who. Did you figure that out? Absolutely. Wow. Really? Prerequisite. Don't serve mass. <laughs> but for the Moody, he drinks all the wine. Ah, okay. <laughs> wow. Was there much of that going on when you were a kid in Tremelis? The stuff we've all heard in the Catholic Church about these errant priests messing around with altar boys, saying you were one? Well, you can, uh, uh, you can make it up if you like, Alice. No, you know. I, I would not want to fabricate either. But I would say that uh, as, as I was a kid growing up, becoming a teenager in Catholic school and the church, I've, I've seen some instances of impropriety. So, yeah, mm. I'm, I'm not wow. surprised. Hmm. Did people ever talk about it back then? What, when when no, are we talking about? What, back, what, years, then, what years are you talking about? 50, 50s. 55 right. through 60s. Right. Back then, it was, the Catholic religion was mum's word. Yeah, and like, don't yeah. even read the Bible. We'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, thank God that things have changed, and those right. persons who were adventurous should have read anyway, which is what I did. So I, I came to the conclusion that yeah, there was one, one supreme being. We didn't create ourselves, and everything else is pas encore. Pas encore. You know. <laughs> do you speak? Do you speak French as well? Quand je connais une belle fille, mais c'est Wow. It's charming. Yeah. <laughs> Enchanté. Where, Enchanté. Did you, where did you learn to speak French, Al? Well, Treme is a French word, I suppose, technically. Absolutely, from Claude Treme. But bear in mind, historically, Treme uh, <laughs> shuffled between being French-speaking and Spanish-speaking prior to the War of 1812, when the, the, the Brits came and the Yanks came and yeah. began to destroy a thing. Like, what the devil are these folks speaking? And what do you mean you're a free person of color? What does that mean? And you've got a passport to go where? <laughs> <laughs> but how did you learn to speak French, notwithstanding all well, that? Actually, being an old boy from Treme, most of my grandmother still spoke Patois. Okay. Uh, and I was fortunate enough uh, after high school and uh, in the Air Force, relocated to Germany. And I uh, met, of course, a ton of folk who spoke French from France, from Switzerland. What do they make of you Belgium. over there? So, oh, you're a Creole from Louisiana. What instrument do you play? <laughs> what saying. instrument do you play? Oh. And I'm saying, oh, man, where's my clarinet? <laughs> <laughs> do you play anything? I did play the clarinet. Nice. But thanks to Uncle Benny Jones of the Tremere, and Uncle Lionel as well. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm practicing a gang. I'm learning a gang. Oh, good. And wow, hopefully I'll nice. play with my own band, uh, my own, not band, but uh, my own parade group, the Black Men of Labor, 
not this year's parade. Maybe next year's All parade. Right. I'll, I'll play my clarinet. He's listening for you. How okay, much practice? Do, what, do you have to practice every day? I've got to learn first. Learn to breed first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it's you, been fun. Are you teaching yourself or are you going to a teacher? or how um, A combination of the two. Right. Yeah. So you, they say that, is this, well, Helen, you would know this, you're a musician, that the secret is to practice every single day. Is that right? Yep. My, uh, my first teacher used to say, just put your hands on the cello once a day, even if it's just, even if you really don't want to practice and you just hold it, you know, you'll, you'll have some sort of connection with the instrument. I couldn't it, learn to play just by reaching out and touching your cello <laughs> right now, because that would be Osmosis. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if they say it takes two years to learn how to hold a bow yeah. in your hand, because wow. uh, you're used to, you know, you're used to ho- holding and, and picking things up with your hand directly, yeah. but to do it indirectly through this bow, they, you know, give yourself two years of yeah, you have to You have to sort of transmit emotion somehow through a bow into a stringed instrument that's right it's a, a lot of fine it. motor yeah. movement in your fingers so did you start playing that the cello before you moved here i mean you must yes. have been playing i started it when i was kid. nine years old with a filipino teacher in singapore who was very physical actually the first uh you joke about not being able to learn by just touching but her her big thing was just make sure you're comfortable with the instrument like um, a, an instrument where you have to learn how to breathe, you have to be comfortable breathing. It right. has to become an organic, physical part of your body. Well, it's the same thing with any instrument. Is the ce- I mean, this is a stupid question, but is the cello the same size when you're nine? I mean, are you playing the same instrument? For me, it was because I was a freakishly tall nine-year-old. But yeah. some, um, some uh, there, there's eighth-size cellos, uh, quarter-size, half-size cellos. Mm. So depending but on you started how- off with this regular-size cello. Yeah, not this exact. What one, attracted but, yeah. you to the cello? Um, I actually wanted to play bass because I was very tall, and yeah. my parents are both musicians. Um, mm. What do they play? They, well, not professional, but they both played. Uh, my mom actually was a clarinetist, and uh, she was the only female clarinetist in the marching band in our little farm village of Belgium. And she wore the little navy blue uniform that she had tailored made because there was no female right. uniform. And uh, she picked up her clarinet and played in the fanfare de Belgique. And it was very, like, Jean-Philippe Souza, you know, goes to the countryside, you know, and drinks <laughs> a beer. Wow. You know, just, yeah. It was awesome. But um, so she was an inspiration to me. And, th- and my dad also was, uh, went through conservatory in very Catholic Belgium town. Right. What did he um, play? He plays piano mainly and also baritone. Um, and he used to play baritone, you know, for my, my birthday parties when I was little. He'd walk around the pool, like, playing, you know, bump, 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 just kind of improvising <laughs> on the baritone. So I have that in my ear. So it's no wonder I ended up here in New Orleans, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, you've got the cello sitting here, and, you know, you have the bow in your hands. Yeah. And we have uh, plenty of time. So what about playing something? I could certainly do what that. Are you th- I'd have to what back are you thinking? up. Yeah, okay, we can back you up a little bit. What are you thinking of playing here? Well... I, one of the things I like to do because I've been living in the U.S. for so long without speaking French on a daily basis is uh, I started singing in French. So um, I'll sing a, a traditional French chanson for yes. you. Okay. It's about falling in love with an accordion player um, and then falling out of love with uh, the same accordion player. Okay. Can we figure out so that a way that we can actually get your vocal on the mic yeah. somehow, Chris? Okay. Should I be getting my accordion out? Yes. yes. Do, you have it, do you have it handy? Touche, touche. I actually am And about halfway through the, the song, just disappear. Okay, pick it up. Pick it up, Mitch. It's, it's, you got to take it out. I'll play it in a minute. You actually have an accordion. I actually do, right in front of me. All right. Okay. I'm going to get it out. Okay. I might have to take these off for the song. Is that okay? If you want to, you yeah. can. Um. 
sais pas pourquoi j'allais danser à Saint-Jean-Vaumusette, mais il m'a suffi d'un seul baiser pour que mon cœur soit prisonnier. Comment ne pas perdre la tête, serré par ses bras audacieux, car l'on croit toujours un doux mot d'amour quand ils sont dit avec les yeux. Mitch, you want to you want to do a verse and chorus of that now? No, no, no. That was wow. That's it. Helen, that was amazing. Wow, beautiful. Truly, yeah, thank you. Really, thank that you was. Very much. It's shocking to to sit around with. I mean, if you listen to this and you haven't got any idea of what it looks like here, we're sitting at a very tiny table about the size of a family sized pizza. <laughs> That's true. And, and and suddenly you 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 pick up this thing and play it. It's, it's stunning, isn't it, Alvin? You, yeah. Weren't you shocked to hear? Yeah, that? I was, and, and trust me, I, I was like, oh, Edith Piaf. Yes. Yeah. Big inspiration. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's the queen of the chanson. She That's really right. is. Said, What's oh, a chanson? Wow. Chanson is really uh, the word for song. It kind uh-huh. of goes with an art song or a cafe song that became popularized. Uh, you know, street musicians playing the accordion or singing in the street uh, brought it into the cafes, and then it became sort of a revered po- uh, form for poetry and like Leonard Cohen of Southern France kind of art song. Leonard Cohen of Southern France yeah. is a good description. Yeah. So, do you play? Where would you play this around town? Well, I have a band called Wazozo, and actually, right now, I've expanded to a full orchestra, and I call it the Wazozo Zorchestra. Okay. And yeah. uh, we uh, we're going to play at the Maple Leaf Bar coming up in September. We play at the Always Lounge from time to time. We have a Fado coming up at the Maison on the twenty fifth of August. Oh, we have to check so, that out. So you have to manage a whole orchestra yourself? Yeah, it's actually seven seven piece band, and they're all really awesome. So it's my pleasure. Really wow, to manage cool. them. Wow. So Al, you know a lot about the history of uh, Actually, music. I'm listening to it and I'm saying, how how do I incorporate your band with opera creole? 
Oh, I love them. I've heard them, actually. Yeah. I'm, I'm, very, I'm a big fan. Giovanni Giuseppe's father attended Craig School in Treme, needless to say. Mm-hmm. I'm proud to say. But, uh, yeah, that's that era in the early 1920s, 30s, into the 40s in Treme, opera was the music, not buck jumping. Mm. There was also an opera house owned uh, and, and inhabited by three people of color. That's and cute. some whites were invited as well. And <laughs> this was the music of the day. There was was there recorded music or was no. it mostly it was a li- it was a no, live back then it was, it, no, it was no recorded music, music at all no. it was all there live. Was sheet music right the, the, some an example Edmond Dede who was born in Trime and of course had to leave because of racism mm. and um, Lou Morogacho who was a Creole but we allowed them to make him whatever whatever but uh, he too left because of racism in, in New Orleans yeah. hmm. and died in South America looking for his Latin roots. And uh, yeah, I've played a couple gotcha uh, string quartet uh, arrangements of his uh, of his Bambula? music of Bambula. Can you play? Really? I, I, I can't play it Super. for you right now, unfortunately. I, I, I didn't. I don't have it memorized, but I, I've played it, and it's beautiful. Super. And then we're talking about what's his name? His first gotcha? name? Louis Moro Gotchok. Louis Moro Gotchok, who was a composer he, and piano player. He was America's first internationally known pianist. And the first opera in America was mm-hmm. also, really? <coughs> I must say, it was right here. It was the right f- here. Or in Treme. <laughs> yeah. Treme. Oh, Treme. I was pointing to his T-shirt that says Treme. 200, 200 years of Treme. Yeah, 200 years. Not the, not the TV show, but 200 years of the <laughs> actual place. Well, 200 years post the War of 1812. Wow. Hey, you all, just you want to take yeah. a quick break? Slice Pizzeria people have just dropped off a couple of items here for us to have with our drinks. They're, uh, they're items that they've recently added to the menu. The Argentine. Is this pronounced Argentine or Argentine? Anybody know? Argentina. Argentina. Okay, it's the Argentine. <laughs> which it's got imported mortadella and chopped pistachios on a white pie. How about that? That and sounds good. And here's something for you, Al. It's a traditional Creole Italian muffalata. All right. <laughs> Can you tell us something about the muffalata? Or, yeah. or shall I tell you something about it? This is the kind of muffalata that you used to get when you were kids. Back it's got uh, imported salumis, mortadella, prosciutto yeah. de palma, chassisi ham, provolone Cent- cheese. Central grocery. And homemade olive salad on a six-inch Leidenheimer bun. Call that six inches? <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you guys think? Check it out. We're just getting it looks delivered good. over here. This is the pizza delivery music. This is the pizza delivery music <laughs> from <laughs> Mitch Foreman. A little overqualified for pizza delivery music. I just want to hear Al say Argentina again. Argentina. Oh, oh very nice. So, so <laughs> Lewis, was it Lewis's first name? Gottschalk? Lu- yeah, Luis Moro Gacho. Luis. So, from the Moro family. So he, what was the name? So the opera that he... The, this is the first, um, New, uh, first New Orleans. The first American opera, is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. The first opera performed in America okay. was performed in Treme at this, this, with this, this group, Opera Creole, from back then. In the so this, eight, is the, early this is because 1800s. everybody was, was French? Well, sure. C'est tout so who was living in Treme back in, this, in those days? I mean, Fra- Fra- Well, actually, Treme was your first mixed neighborhood um, because Claude Treme was of the mindset, well, back up. Claude so, Treme came in from, from Bordeaux. He was a hat maker okay. uh, who decided I should marry the ugliest girl whose father has the most money. And he did. That was his plan for real. Well, that, I'm, that, I, I, you're making that, that up. You're idea. supposed to be a historian. You can't make it up. But it's a fun. But and, and so oh, okay. he did. And her father said, well, "Can you make up history?" He took off. off you, well, you not own this land. And he began to sell property to anyone who had money. Right. And he did. So Trime became the first mixed neighborhood in in America. You name the nationality back then. So <clears> those so, persons were owned, landowners so in Trime. What year are we talking about? Eighteen. 
Early, early 1800s. Even 1800s. So, yeah. so there were, there were, who were the who were the black people who were moving in there then? Well, but <coughs> initially, initially those were the children of the planters, the French plantation owners, okay, who had other wives, uh, mistresses. So that's where we get the word, the word Creole from. Uh, it was that's like the, I would say yes, that's debatable. Uh, so I, I, I like the definition of a Creole is a person born in a new world. Yeah, but but you're as talking a, about people here who were illegitimate, so-called children of of plant of, of white of, French of, planters yeah. and, and black slaves. Yeah, or just or were they slaves? Well, it was at a combi- that point no, still? well, actually, actually, no. The it's a horrible thought. The, well, no, 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 no. The initial were the initial mixture was, of course, of uh, other slave women. And that okay. child was born free. Yeah, but it was a, it was the it was the boss, and the, it would be sexual harassment. We would call that today if there was. No, I call it true love. It was love. Yeah. So I mean, did one, they one time? Okay, hit miss and thank you, ma'am. But when you make two, you breed two or three children, you like something there. <laughs> <laughs> Unless but you're schizophrenic. It, you know? <laughs> mildly, just mildly schizophrenic. Just mildly. Right? But, but was it cool in those days? Was that cool then? Sure. It was, it, it was cool. You had well, a family with the, 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 was this the sort of a family? It was accepted. The, yeah. It was okay. Yeah, it was, it, it was okay as long as it was kept away from the wife wife who lived by and large in the quarters. Which is why there's so much in Treme, which you will never find in a quarter. Very good case in point is the first Masonic Lodge yeah. in New Orleans. It's in Treme. And today it's inside of Armstrong Park. Are you, a, are you in the Masonic Lodge? There are certain signs and symbols which would dictate whether I am or not. Are you doing one right now? Winking? <laughs> is that is uh, winking I one? I, I didn't wink. No, it's a handshake. What's the handshake? Did you do the handshake? <laughs> okay, so it's now we're onto a whole new world here. Now we're onto the Masons. Uh, well, uh, my first performance well, in New Orleans mind. Really? was uh, uh, Salome at the Scottish Rite Temple, a Masonic temple here in the, in the CBD. Yeah. I don't know, just a random segue there, but I, you, that was, that was my the, first That was my your first, first gig in town. Real, real paid, you know... Uh, Outward performance with a, an air, we were Herod's musicians. It's pretty exciting uh, role. And Selma, what was who wrote, that was the? Actually, the, Tristan Cordescu, Andre Cordescu's son, directed that uh, and, and performance. It, and it was in the Masonic Temple. It was ten years ago at the Scot- Ch- Scottish Rite. I think UNO has it as a performance space, but there were all these Saint Charles. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was Saint Charles, and, yeah, but it's, it's closed down now. It's something yeah. else, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the, the organization <coughs> relocate, has relocated, yeah. but the building, of course, is still Beautiful there. building, though. Yes. Yeah, it was. Great they used building. to have great parties in there. What, what yeah. is that place now, by the way? It was like 333 St. Charles Avenue. Yeah, that's like it. That. That's it. And that's where, well, that's where PBS Pinchback had his inaugural ball. PBS Pinchback? Yeah. Is that someone's name? Sure. PBS is his first name? PBS Pinchback. Public wow. Broadcasting System. Pitney, Pin- Pitney Benton Stewart Pinchback. All right. Who is that? Wow. He was the first African-descended person, person of African an- ancestry, who became governor in America. Wow. I've wow. never heard of that guy. Amazing, Have you guys ever heard of What an amazing no. city yeah. we live in. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, what a really. rich culture. It's he beautiful. Was, he was, of course, Neat. an octoroon. An octoroon meaning? One eight black, one eight. seven eight white. Here he is. You got a photo. Oh, come on, just happened to have a photo of him here. Oh yeah, PBS Pitchback, and then he got his he got his own TV channel named after him, which is which yeah, is amazing. Yeah, right, right. Very cool. What does Pinchback. he look like? He looks there like he a lot of guys look like that back then, with a the big beard yeah. and the sort of. Looks the, like a ja- jazz fest goers look like this. <laughs> <laughs> you must be going to a different part of the jazz, <laughs> jazz fest than I'm going to. Okay, so um. 
Maybe not that. Okay, outfit. let's just let's just stop here for a minute and have it. Guys, have a snack. Have some. Oh yeah, so we this have, delicious we pizza. Have this, we have this muffalata as well, right? Yeah, and some. You. Oh my God, look at this. Try it out. So I, I keep strict kosher. Are you a kosher? Oh, so, uh, I know. Well, we'll have to we'll have to Next eat yours time. for you. Yeah. More for us. But so strict, <laughs> strict kosher means you're not allowed to eat anything that wasn't prepared by someone who's no, no, a kosher it's, kitchen it's, or it's, just milk and meat. It's it's, well, it's worse. It's a combination of. Milk and meat and ingredients and supervision. So where like do that. you go for dinner when you go out? Can you go to? So like actually, we have a restaurant at the Hillel. Fork, you have your own restaurant at Hillel. We have our own I restaurant. Just as well, you yeah. own your own restaurant. Yeah. Otherwise, what about when you go out to eat here? Where do you go? I go. I. There, you can also eat uh, as long as food is raw. So I eat sushi. Mm. Okay. Yeah, a lot of sushi. So salads. you've never been to I've any of the famous New Orleans restaurants? Exactly. It's you can't like, go to some place like I don't know what, like Commanders or. Anything that's cooked, slice or one's flying I'm, burrito. You know, that's my my kosh root observance. But yeah, yeah. So, but you you just can't do it. You live in New Orleans. Yeah. Hey, I know. thanks, Graham. I'd love some. Thank you. How does it taste, you guys? Well, I'll tell you what it's like, Rabbi. Mm. <laughs> it tastes like it's just some sort of palm or ham. Or the pizza is amazing. Let's try a bit, and then we're going to make Mitch play the piano in a minute. That's why I drink so heavily in New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. That is good. Is that pistachios on mm, there? It's pistachios on a wow. pizza. Wow. Never had pistachios on a pizza. No, that's really nice. It's a, what does it say on the Well, thing? what are some of the be- better New Orleans raw foods, you know, that well, grow local? Cabbage. Papayas. There's it's papaya trees here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not a lot of, there's no vegan. I mean, I am a big meat eater, but, you know, in terms of raw food, you know, vegan restaurants are also, they're probably fine. But there's very few, actually, opportunities like that in New Orleans. There's, there's not, you know, if you go to San Francisco, it's a different story, but New Orleans is just a lot of heavy... Rich, you know, rich food. food. Yeah, it's just not. You what know. about the Green Goddess in the French Quarter? Have you been there? I have been there. Wow, it was okay. It was all right. Yeah, you're not going back to that. I was not inspired to go back. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, maybe I'll it's go. It's about back. the only one I can think yeah, of. You I, know, that's basically the only one I've heard of. Mm. Now, is, what do you? Th- is, is that the, on, off of Decatur, the backside of Decatur, the Green Goddess? No, it, where is it? Exchange it's near, Alley. It's or? near Frenchman. You know, a couple blocks. You think you think of the massage. Person, that's a, that's an actual woman. <laughs> <laughs> no, cracking him up over there. Actually, to there eat there his was pizza. A, a vegan restaurant on the backside of, of Decatur, facing the, the flea market. Yeah, that. Well, it's not. It's a little bit inset, but yeah, I think that's yeah. the place. Just the, by the mint. That's the place I went to. If I think it's the same place. Yeah. Guys, yeah. <coughs> okay, this is great with pistachio nuts on a pizza. I've never had that either. What an awesome mm. idea! Very good idea. And thank you to the guys from Slice. What do you think, Al? That's the uh, Italian coming out of the Argentine. There you go. Mm. Pistachio. It's the Italian-Argentine mm. connection. Yeah. Mm. What's it called? The pie, by the way, just so we can know for ordering it. The Argentine, it's called, mm. or Argentine. Argentina. I want to talk about um, the Masonic Lodge in a minute, but so please don't <laughs> let me forget that, okay? Al, I can see that you're desperate to get onto that subject. But first of all, the fabulous, talented, charming, and always gorgeous Mitch Foreman is going to play something for us. All right, Mitch. On the, on the, are you playing on the accordion today, Mitch, or the piano? No, I put the accordion away. It's, okay. It's, uh, the buttons are just too much for my mind to handle. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. What are you playing? Um, I'm going to, well, firstly, I have to say that I grew up in the kosher home. Where, where it was kosher, and then they would go out and eat Chinese food, pork, and all that stuff. Wow. So, so sta- Mitch, you're, you're a member of the tribe. It was the standard Long Island kosher. Yeah. Home. See, this is what and Rabbi... my parents... Yes, go on, Mitch. The, the other weird thing is my parents the, almost named me PBS. It was this <laughs> runner-up. <to> <laughs> Which is Yiddish for... Uh, 
Foreman. You'll tell me. Foreman. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that, uh, isn't that, Rabbi, isn't that okay? Isn't what most Jewish people do that they keep kosher to a certain extent? And Definitely not. They adapt no. to the environment they live in? No. Yeah, there's no. Most, most Jews in America do not keep kosher. They do not at not all. Not at all. Not at all. No. Not at all. Well. Big time. Sorry to be eating while I'm talking, Mitch, but. All right, go ahead. Enjoy. This song no. is called Isn't It Romantic? Mm. Eating pizza, yeah. Isn't it romantic? Very nice. Mitch Foreman. That's great. Mitch, who wrote that? Rogers and Hart. Is that out of copyright or are we going to have to pay for that now? You're going to pay for it. No, Lord almighty, I was scared of that. Mitch Foreman on the piano and my guests sitting around the table here with Mitch, uh, Rabbi Jonas Schiller, Al Jackson, and Helen Gillet. All right. And if you're listening to the show somewhere other than New Orleans and you're coming here, and you'd like to book a hotel or a tour, or you need some other tips on what to do while you're in town, check in with our friends at neworleans.com. 
They're the official New Orleans travel site, and if you are here already, hey, thanks. The drinks are here as well. And you're looking for some fun, go check out the New Movement. After two years of shows in bars, museums, parks, and pretty much wherever else they could, the New Movement has opened a full-time comedy theater in the Maroney. Have you guys been to this joint? I have not. Check it out. Have you been there? Al, Yona, none of you guys, you should go. It's awesome, and I say that sincerely. It really is really great. It's at 1919 Burgundy Street. They have shows from Thursday to Saturday. Everything's free or very cheap, only like five bucks to get in. They have improv and sketch classes as well. You can check it all out yourself at tnmcomedy.com for more information. Also, you can listen to Chris True and Tammy Nelson on True to the Game, New Orleans' first badass sports radio podcast produced by our very own Chris Kehoe sitting over there, starring Chris and Tammy right on the same website this is on. It's neworleans.com. And we should say why we're saying thank you. Thank you to the people at Slice Pizza for this awesome pizza. Yona, I'm so sorry thank that you, you can't have pizza. it. <laughs> so... And uh, and the, did you guys try the muffalada as well? Yeah. yeah. Okay, now what did you think of that? Very good. Seriously, you're allowed to tell the truth. I think I should visit Slice at some point. You should definitely visit Slice Pizzeria. Where is it? On St. Charles, just up the street. I think this one. Mitch, thank you very much. That was beautiful. Yay, it's, Mitch. It's 1513 St. Charles Avenue and 5538 Magazine Street. You can also look them up online at slicepizzeria.com. Great. Slice is spelled S-L-I-C-E, I think. That's right. As far as I know. Hey, um, Yana, so when was the last time you had a pizza? I had a pizza about a month ago in New York. And that was a kosher pizza place? <laughs> yeah, it was. So I guess if you live in New York City, there's yeah, like kosher everything. Not like, an issue. Like yeah. there's everything, everything. Yeah, yeah. So when you decided to move to New Orleans, where did yeah. you move from? I, originally, I mean, immediately from Gainesville, but before that I was in Israel. Well, there's a lot of kosher stuff in Israel. Yeah. It's supposed to be a wider <laughs> option. What's the pizza? What's the pizza like in Israel? It's Pretty like good. There's actually they just try to copy New York pizza. Yeah. Do they yeah. cut it in squares? No. It's, they, they try to do it. They try to copy it as they much don't, as possible. Okay. So, um, how long did you live in Israel for? I lived there for about nine years. Oh. Yeah. yeah. That's a good, a good long time. Did you yeah, think yeah. about staying there? Well, would you have um, to join always, the army and shoot people? Uh, or if you're a rabbi, do you have to do that if you're a rabbi? Or can you, you get you, out of the army? You do have to do that. You can get out of it, but I didn't do that. I wasn't there long enough. So there's actual rabbis in the army in Israel? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's actually some of the some of the best soldiers apparently are are religiously oriented soldiers. I guess you sort of got some... Get some passion. Motivation. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. I don't know why, really, because that doesn't make any sense at all when you yeah. think about it, does it? Killing someone in the name of God, how stupid is that, really? Yeah, that can be bad. It just depends on, you know, I mean, are we going to get political right now? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about politics, so how political can we get? No, it's really? just, you know, it's, it's the, you know, there's two perspectives. You can look at it as going to war or self-defense. So, you know, from... Oh, from, that side. Well, it depends yeah. on what side. The yeah, that's what I mean, like political. Yeah. Well, I guess if you're Israeli, you're looking at it as what? Self-defense. You know, self-defense, long-term, yeah. sustainable life in a region. But I think if you're looking at it from the other side that you're talking about occupation. then you, Right, then you look at Israel as the aggressor. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. So there's equal, yeah. you know, there's equal anger on both sides. How are it's they ever going to solve simple. that? How are they going to fix it, Rabbi? Can you Oy. tell us, like King Solomon? <laughs> yeah, how hopefully they, not like that. But how uh, are they going to end <laughs> this aggravation in the Middle East? Because it ha- is it ever going to come to an end? My brother has a theory. I don't agree with it, but I'll throw it out there just because I th- I, he... Well, if he, he turns one. out to be right, he c- that's great. He shouldn't have said my brother. He should have said I got the story. <laughs> right. I love my brother. Okay. He, uh, he thinks that it's that's through... That's Cain and Abel. <laughs> through, that's through, in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> through economic opportunity. Yeah. If, if you have, an, if you, have uh, you know, an, an economically viable 
Palestinian population, right. then you'll you'll have a more modern. Well, government why do you not agree with your brother on that? I just think that the I think that um, uh, I don't I think it's a different mentality in the Middle East. I don't think money. I think it's a very American perspective. Mm-hmm. I think in the, in other regions, I don't think money or an economic opportunity is the only driving force of. So your brother is saying if the Palestinian Authority had the Gap and Home Depot. Yeah. It will be cool. Or if they had, if there was you know entrepreneurial opportunities and there people had the you know could had hope for you know a better life well, you standard lived in, of living. You lived in Israel like for a long time. Did you ever actually go to the Palestinian Authority or to Jordan or Egypt or Syria or any of these? Places? Yeah, I was in Egypt and I was uh, I was in different territories and things like that. Yeah. What is it, the difference between those places when you go over the border from Israel to the? I well, mean, is it? A completely different experience, or there is, it is. It is. I mean, you know, my experiences in traveling in Arab countries is that you know, Arab countries are just very different than than Western countries. Mm-hmm. Territories well, in, Egy- in Egypt that. and the territories were very little difference, you know, from what I saw, in terms of poverty, in terms of you know, and difficult do, situations. Do the average, does the average Israeli and the average um, citizen of these other countries hate each other? Well, I don't think the average Israeli. I mean, you know, I, I you know. I'm a Jewish boy. I don't think the average Israeli are. Well, you're a rabbi, so <laughs> thank God. I, for that. I don't think they hate. I don't think they hate the Palestinians at all. Right. Um, I think the average. But the Palestinians is only a very small fraction of the people surrounding Israel. Right? Correct. But correct. that's the that's the problem. That's the. But the other countries have a problem with Israel too. Lebanon yeah. doesn't have any yeah. Palestinians. Syria doesn't have any Palestinians, no. and they still have an issue. A lot of it's about education. You know, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they they earn, le- learned very early on that the Zionist enemy is their greatest threat. Well, that was my question. And do, the American do, enemy also. Is yeah, but do people do the average? Does the average person in these countries, the average Syrian or the Lebanese person, do they hate Israelis? I think the average educated, you know, what we would consider educated person, does not hate, you know, blindly, you know, the Western world. And Even Israel though they were included. brought up, you're saying people were brought up. Like yeah, I think that. they they're able to overcome that. And they they may not be a big fan. But they they understand there's a pathway towards peace and there's a. Mo- I think the average Palestinian or average um, Arab population is moderate, but mm. I think that the leadership unfortunately is not. Okay, we haven't got all day to solve the world's yeah. crisis, but just tell us in one <laughs> sentence how are we going to fix it. Forget forget your brother's idea, which you say is no good, which seems yeah. pretty reasonable to me if everybody's happy. And no, got, I mean got a lot we, of money. We fix it we'll by education. Cool. Uh, yeah, education. I think we yeah. fix it by relationships. You know, there are more people. The more people who know Israelis, the more Israelis who know Arabs, will realize they're you know they're not ideologues. Rather, they're just people who. How are do you to, do that though? You have to live, yeah, you know, travel or you have lift to be creative. Up the you have to you know that has to happen from the top down. The most. What about a, what about a Messiah? There is a belief like that. There's well, I've like heard the, of it. It's in the you know, Bible. The Jewish perspective is not that we're waiting for the Messiah, but the Messiah is waiting for us to get it together. Well, God, that, that's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, who's got the time for that? Together. <laughs> no, I mean, we just, you know, if we can get our stuff together, then, then there's something to fix. But well, the only thing that I could. Messiah's not going to come down and be like, but bam, everything's good. The Masons have got the answer, though, right, Al? Sorry, the Masons, the Masonic Lodge has the answer. You thought I was going to forget about that, but I haven't. I was hoping I've come it. back. <laughs> I've come back to the Masonic Lodge because I I've know the always secret, been. Fa- the you know symbol. This? What is it? No, I don't. I want to know it. Oh, you want to know it? Oh, Al, what's the secret? What the heck? It goes on in this. What are those Masonic? compasses yes. that are what? facing each Thank other? Thank you, Helen. All I can say to you is look at the back of your dollar bill. Oh. There's the, the the pyramid with the eye in it. Very good. Okay, so well, what does that <clears throat> symbolize? And why is it on the money? I, I can't tell you other than it was to bring folk together, the same mindset as in George Washington, the former presidents were Masons. And even today, your judges, most politicians are Masons as well. Scottish Rites and Prince Hall, 
Okay, so is this a conspiracy theory or is this a fact? That's a fact. Can I ask a question, Grant? No. Do you, do you, Sorry. Really? Oh, all right then. I was gonna, do you think, I mean, just in your estimation, do you think the Masons are actually a very powerful force working today? They could be. And I ah. think to some degree, quietly they are. Yeah. Quietly really? they are. Yeah, very quietly. That's the conspiracy nature of the whole thing, right? Well, but not to overthrow the government. No, but to control us. No, it's, it's a question of... They don't want to, well, let would me you, give an example. Let me give an example, okay. if I might. <clears throat> Some years ago, we were trying to buy... Is that okay if he gives an example? We were trying to buy an oil refinery up the river in Convent, Louisiana. Who was? I was in, a, in a group, my group. You were to buy an but oil refinery? Person. Yeah. I, I didn't know you were that wealthy. I'm not, Otherwise, I would have been a lot nicer <laughs> to you. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. It was just an opportunity to try to make something happen. Okay. So we met this guy who was the plant manager there in a very, very distant conversation. Like, I'm only talking to you guys because you came up here and, and I need to. He made the mistake and, and showed me his hand, and I saw his ring. So as we were leaving, I gave him a handshake, and he said, sit down. Okay. And then he confessed all of the intricacies of the Koch brothers, as we know today, the, okay. the guys today with all the money, KOCH, Koch brothers. Mm-hmm. So this and is the inside conspiracy really, nature that me. we're talking about. Trust when me. conspiracy doesn't necessarily mean... I mean it's not anything negative, but it's, it's people it's conspiring true. with each other. To control. To control. Yeah. So if you're on the inside with the Masons, if you know if, the secret handshake, Al, tell us the handshake right now. I can't. What would happen to you? Would you be struck down by lightning? Possibly. Does it... Is, there, is God... Hold <laughs> <laughs> We're really going to let that go about... <laughs> I've got a rabbi here as my witness. So is, is God involved in the Masons? We don't speak of uh, God as such. It's, okay. uh, there are certain beliefs about religion and those things which emanated from King Solomon. And so those, it's, those from those the, it's from King Solomon? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So you're saying the first Mason was Jewish? No, Hebrew. Hebrew. Ah, that's an interesting Pre- distinction. There's a difference. Pre-Solomon. There is a difference. Yeah. Wow. Oh, so it was before King Solomon. Interesting. Yeah. What's the difference between Hebrew and Jewish? I would say, and this is my own research, that back then Hebrews were black. And Jews were? Brownish, and today they're more European, and I think that's part of the problem today in Israel, that Yiddish is more spoken, and you can correct me, than Hebrew. Okay. But this if you do some research, you find that those Jews who were expelled... Uh, from the old land and went into North Africa, into Spain and Portugal, were again expelled again in the first Jewish synagogue. Uh, and again, you may correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, from my research, the first Jewish synagogue in the Western Hemisphere you find in St. Thomas. St. Thomas, the yeah, island? I know, yeah, I was surprised. The like, first Jewish synagogue is on In the Western Saint- Hemisphere. First of all, it's in the very, Western Hemisphere. The Western Hemisphere. It's unusual for an, Not a New York. Jewish synagogue to no, be no, in a it, place it, that's named after a saint. Well, bear in mind that, that even strange. then... That, the uh, Jews were in South America before they came to North America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jews yeah. were still the not first, wanted. The first immigration of Jews. It was still a question yeah. of that's acceptance. True. If you remember here in Louisiana, the Code Noir, the Black Code, the very first one says what, if you guys know it? No, I have no Get clue. rid of the Jews. Well, that's the basic idea for and like, everything. Me? Let's start yeah, off with that. Exactly. Get rid of the Jews and then everything will be a lot better. Remove the Jews from the territory. And I'm saying, Jesus wow. Christ. But the folk here bought their way in uh, due to the, through the Civil War. Uh, they made some very significant military moves with money and weaponry. What, where, where is this the first premise of, get rid of the Jews? What is that from? The um, Black Code, Code Noir. But what is that exactly? Oh, that was the condition in which blacks were allowed to live in Louisiana in, in the territory. And why was that the first code of the... I have no idea, other than stupidity. 
It's but just, they weren't, they weren't. I mean, the Jewish population in, in Louisiana was not was a, not great at all. So maybe dated from the St. Thomas and the sl- slave migration from maybe well, it, South America or Central America. Been, yeah, mm-hmm. and it could have been their their pension for making mm-hmm. things happen mm-hmm. and economic development perspective, like these guys would take over. Mm-hmm. Where did you find this information? This is not something I've ever heard, and no one at this table has ever heard that before either. Where, really? Where do you? No, but I, I mean, what do we know? Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> We're all foreigners. I didn't even know about the, yeah, yeah. You know, the black code. Well, Yana's not a foreigner, but it's he might as well be. I want to know more it's about true. it. Yeah. Where, where can one go to find out more about this stuff? On the internet, just when you go home. The internet. The internet. <laughs> <laughs> I do use when that. You go home. Okay. Now, <laughs> or you can go to uh, to the museum, uh, to Tulane University as well, over there Tulane. in the library. Or to Armstead Research Center. Mm. Is there in the Treme? I know there's the. Uh, I go to that um, Mardi, uh, the Mardi Gras Indian Museum, that uh, no, Backstreet Cultural Museum. Backstreet Culture Museum. I go to there. Hawkeye, Sylvester Francis. Wonderful place. Yeah, and I my like clothes it. are there as well. Your clothes the, are the there. Tashiki green and yeah, that, those are my and the shoes. Hey, those are mine. Yeah. Nice, nice job. <coughs> nice job. <laughs> <laughs> The Backstreet Culture Museum. Backstreet Culture Museum. Hey, um, um, Helen, I'm going to make you play something else in a second, but all first right. of all, I just have to ask a simple question. King Solomon was black? One would say differently, but if we look at the demographics but back you, then... You say yeah. that's right, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yana, as a rabbinical And Sheba was a very scholar. fine woman from... Uh, Queen of Sheba. Yeah, from Abyssinia, which is Eritrea, known as Ethiopia as well today. So she was black. Sure. Yeah, that certainly is true. Okay. Yeah. King Solomon, you know. He was, the, the, he was yeah. speaking of Semites, which is half, Semitic. You know what's interesting, though? I mean, I I, mean they're, they're, I these know. people are from the Middle East, so. Yeah, know. well, I mean, but you know what's interesting? And I don't know how interesting it is, but I just sort of thought of this. We don't describe anybody as, as black and white through, throughout history up until recently. Yeah. When you look in the Bible, is there anything that says so and so was black and so and so was white ever? If any is a nation of a different nation. Why did we just start thinking about that at some point? Why did we never think about it as a race, as a human I race? I think it's just a matter of geographic uh, uh, migration and evolution of culture and economic power well, in the world. Really, it's devolution in a sense, though, isn't well, it? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, yeah, I don't, it's satirical to, to think yeah. of it in. That's interesting, though, isn't it? That there's not a single thing in the Bible. Is there, Yana? Is there something in the Old Testament that describes people as being no. black, white, or indifferent? Or no. How no, oh, interesting. Not. Not there, point, are, there is a description <laughs> of people from North Africa. Um, there is? Yeah, but there's, they're not described as being By black. color. Yeah. No one's described yeah. by color. I yeah. wonder when we started thinking about people by color. Well, that's, that's what the Internet's for, right? Yeah. Someone should be Googling that right that now so that when we come back. Is from, yeah. Helen, what are we going to listen to next? What are you thinking of playing? Look at your cool wallet. Is yeah, this yours with a little duct yeah, tape on it? It's a friend of mine named Bunny made Quel- this quelque for chose me. Edith Piaf, je ne regrette rien. I don't know how to, I, I don't uh, know how to play and sing that one at the same time, no, but I'll just sing. Je ne regrette rien. No, with me. <laughs> no, rien de rien. rien. All right. Non, je, je ne regrette, regrette rien, rien, ni le bien qu'on m'a fait, ni le mal, tout ça m'est bien égal. That's a pretty good stuff, you two. Good job. <laughs> I could be on she, your next she, album. She, she broke my heart when she married a Greek barber. <laughs> she did? Edith Piaf did? A long time ago. At least it wasn't Sweeney Todd. How yeah, She was smart. <laughs> was, hey, Al, was Edith Piaf around when you were growing up? Yeah, I was in Europe in 1961. Right. 
And that when was she? I mean, I always think of Edith Piaf as like something out of history, but I guess. Oh no! Well, she not was. For me. She was around. She was recent. Yeah, she was, but of course, she was an age then, uh, maybe fifty, fifty-five or so. But she was great, and, and still the little sparrow. I mean, like that big, mm. hell of a voice. Did you see her play live? Unfortunately, never. She never came to Germany. And whenever I went to France to Paris, I was busy on Boulevard Saint Michel. Was that what was that all about? <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs> another Mason thing. Another Mason Secrets. Helen, <laughs> <laughs> tell us what's happening on Mason Secrets. <laughs> Tune in next week. I want to be a Mason. <laughs> what do you got, Helen? What are you playing? Um, I'm just going to do a little improvising, and it's going to end up in a Belgian song by a folk singer from Belgium named uh, Jules Bocard, who's a, fen- a friend of my family's. And uh, so I'm just going to start out with a little improv going into that. Okay. you do that oh, fantastic isn't it I'm beautiful it's amazing how you can just i mean it's just such a strange instrument to accompany yourself on <laughs> you're so unused to seeing that yeah. and you play it a little bit like a guitar actually i do sometimes yeah sometimes i've, I've been known when i'm improvising with james singleton to here in town to yeah. uh, swing it over my knee and just start strumming it like a guitar so i know we're going to go a little bit over time here but i'm going to have to ask you this because i i, I did read the sentence in the introduction when we talk, when we introduced you, and and you've just been talking about improvisation, it says here that you started off improvising uh, when you came in contact with North Indian Hindustani vocal ragas. 
Yes. What does that actually mean, that sentence? Well, in, uh, there's a style of music that's very ancient in northern India called Hindustani uh, vocal music, and it's uh, a male voice singing in a very spiritual impro- improvisation. Uh, raga is a, another word for song. Okay. And uh, a Hindu word for song. And so there, there'll be an improvisation in the mode that is that song. And the mode is a, a scale, like a, a, a certain set of sonic rules to go by. So um, instead of using do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, si, do, like we do in Western singing, mm-hmm. um, they would use uh, sa, re, ga, ma, pa, da, ni, sa as the syllables and put them in different orders, and sometimes there's quarter tones instead of half tones. Can you give us a vague demonstration of that? Sure. So there'd be a drone, usually by Tampura. The drone's in a fifth. Cool. That's a, a rag called Bihag, and uh, it was a little out of my range. I should start on a different note, but um, that's, you know, I, I usually would tune the cello a little bit differently, like my teacher showed me. She was an Indian uh, classical cello player who gave up her Western career to study in India for seven years, and she only does that. And she lives in Madison, Wisconsin, and I was lucky enough to study with her. And What's her name? Her name is Nancy Lesh. She still teaches up there in Madison. So. Does she have recordings that we can listen to? Anyway? Yeah, she does. Amazing. You can find her on the internet. The internet. <laughs> it's back into it Touché. again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. and, and your stuff, do you, I mean, you have, have a new record. That's, you have a record that's just out. Yes, it's self-entitled. It's named after you, Helen yeah. Gillet. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a link to it on our site, actually. But, oh, but is it... Um, Thank you. Do you do anything like this anymore? Um, when I improvise, I'm always keeping in mind the Indian music. And my actually, my improv record, The Running of the Bells, uh, with, uh, that came out in 2011, um, that album is available also through the internet and also at the Louisiana <laughs> Music Factory here in town. Okay. Um, but that has an influence for sure. And most of my improvising and my musicianship has, has, has an undertone of that um, uh, element of, of Maybe somewhat introverted spiritual, um, you know, uh, uh, improvisation. So, well, thanks very much for coming here today and bringing the cello and bringing this beautiful music. It was my to pleasure. Thanks for finding wonderful. me so last minute. Yeah, I know. A well, Christian who books out music the somehow next. tracked you down. I don't know. Where yeah, well, I, I was in town and yeah. I was free to come on That's over. Brilliant. So. It worked out brilliantly. Yeah. Thank you so much, Helen Chalet. Thank you, Al Jackson, the Treme historian, joining us. Also, we never got onto the local 469, the Negro Musicians Union, but I guess we're going to have to do that next time. Absolutely. A reason to come back and also Absolutely. to tell us the special Mason's handshake on our next oh. show. Yeah. Rabbi Shiller Riona, <laughs> thank you for joining us again here. On Happy Hour, good to have you back. I think we almost solved the whole Middle East question this almost, time. Almost, oh, almost there. Last time, we, last time we opened up Judaism to the whole world, now we've opened up the question of Middle East peace. Thank you also to our friends at Slice Pizza who brought us this incredible, the Argentine and the Mofalata. You can check out Slice at 1513 St. Charles Avenue and 5538 Magazine Street. You can also find them at slicepizzeria.com on... 
the internet. The internet. <laughs> exactly. Our show is produced by Melinda Horse, Graham DePonte, and Trish Kaufman. Our associate producer and technical director is Chris Kehoe. Christian Unruh is the genius who puts all our music together, including Helen Gillet. Our web designer and link to the real world is Dr. Cliff Brickton. Mitch Foreman is currently playing the theme song, which he also wrote. If you'd like to be on our show and you can stay upright for about an hour, Drop us a line at itsneworleans at gmail.com. Our show is recorded live at the Collins Hotel in Uptown New Orleans. You can check out our other happy hours and other shows, including Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti, live from Commander's Palace, Mindset with psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pager, True to the Game with Chris True and Tammy Nelson, and Win Win, our show about the New Orleans Vietnamese community with Steve Win and Q Win. Keep up with us. By liking It's New Orleans on Facebook, you can also follow us on Twitter, and you can sign up for our mailing list at our website, itsneworleans.com. If you're listening to this show on iTunes, thanks for subscribing. Before you have another cocktail, please take a moment to rate and review us. That would help us out a great deal. Happy Hour is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. For Mitch Foreman on piano, I'm Grant Morris. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on Happy Hour. Happy Hour.